Hi, Colin. Hi, Karen. I'm only lucky to be in the studio, actually, thanks to Adam Cooper, new addition to RNZ's bulletin team, who found me, having locked myself out of the building with no swipe card, no phone, no nothing. He got me in. So it's all thanks to him that I'm here tonight, not outside shouting in the street. Did he just happen to be passing? Well, I managed to sweet talk my way in um, from a member of the cleaning staff who let me into the lobby. Um, which was great, and then I couldn't get up in the lifts without a swipe card. But yes, then he appeared. Uh, I think he popped out for a banana and a sandwich and popped back in and uh, was able to transport me back uh, safely into the studio here. So yeah, it's all thanks to him that I'm here. For you. Okay, (laughs) right. It's all about politics though, isn't it? Yeah, quite a bit of it is. Um, I started off actually with um, the debate yesterday, and I I guess some people's eyes might roll because we've already had a couple, and uh, a lot of the commentary about it has seemed to be this is a long election campaign, lengthened by a month, and perhaps um, people are a bit over it all now. I was filling in for Jim Mora uh, on Sunday on um, RNZ National and uh, had his weekly chat with um, Richard Harmon and Jane Clifton and Richard certainly felt that the debates were not uh, all that useful. Too many topics, none of them gone into in great detail, too much prep by the candidates and and messaging so not a whole lot of depth. But the one uh, that was held last night was the press, uh, so slightly different, this one, and a bit different to the ones on television. And um, so I did agree with some of Richard's criticisms, actually, but having sat down and watched the entire thing, the entire press debate uh, last night, um, I thought it was good. And it's unfortunate in a way that not as many people would have seen it because it's a streamed debate, so you had to watch it off the Stuff site or the app. But in actual fact, um, you know, thousands more people could have watched it because a lot of smart TV now and the Freeview service have the Stuff, or sorry, Play Stuff app, so that's Stuff's video on demand service and they put the um, the whole debate on there as well, so pretty much as easy as watching TV but people's streaming habits aren't quite the same, but uh, no, I thought they did a pretty good job, the Stuff events team and it was, it was definitely as good as anything I'd seen on TV. How was it different or, or better? Well, for a start, it was the only one held uh, in the South Island, or I suppose outside of Auckland, in terms of um, TV debates that we've seen so far. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that, but definitely the only South Island one. And of course, as a, a Christchurch-based daily paper, um, they were in news service. Uh, they would make a big deal of that. It had uh, a live audience, which uh, News Hub's one did have a limited audience as well. But this one was kind of rowdy, so a more of a, a town hall feel. Um, it was also hosted by people, um, so this isn't going to sound a bit mean, but not over-familiar from television. So the two hosts were Stuff's political editor, Luke Malpass, who a lot of viewers might not be too familiar with, um, Envision anyway, and uh, the press editor, uh, Kamala Heyman. Uh, although Judith Collins kept calling her Camilla, which was a bit off-putting, but um, I think a lot of people call her Kamala Harris at the moment as well because of the the US um, presidential vice presidential candidate but uh, easy mistake to make I suppose but uh, also the in-house pundits they had uh, were different Um, Leanne Watson from the Canterbury Chamber of Commerce and uh, Lindsay Teata Otu MacDonald from Canterbury University Um, so yeah different voices because you know we do see a lot of the same pundits and political commentators, I think, and we're getting very familiar with them as the election campaign goes on. But here's actually just one example I picked out. This is uh, Lindsay Teata Otu MacDonald from Canterbury University, who picked out one issue uh, that he said um, wasn't being confronted. Um, And this was actually how he responded to claims made by the um, the two leaders about prioritising children's welfare. We have the highest rate of 
child deprivation just about in the OECD, the least rate of elderly deprivation in the OECD. That's because the elderly get a UBI, a universal basic income. Over 65, we pay everyone. It's really time to start thinking about what we can do for our kids. That really changes. Yeah, so I thought of an interesting little thing he said there. You know, we've got um, universal income for people over 65, not for kids. Maybe time for a radical uh, think, something like that. It's a sort of issue that, you know, as Richard Harmon was saying, not really tackled in these debates, and he brought it up. Uh, interestingly, uh, people could also submit questions via the online platform Slido, so the audience. Someone did put in a question for the two leaders, you know, what about a universal basic income? Are you even thinking about it? And both Judith Collins and Jacinda Ardern said flatly, no, and that was it. So, yeah, limits to the debate, I suppose. But I think there was scope in the press's debate for some some different stuff. And what stood out uh, content-wise? Well, it, interestingly, no ad breaks left more room for content. Uh, there was a 15-minute half-time break in uh, in the debate where we heard from uh, the, the two pundits um, and Carol Hirschfeld uh, in charge of the um, the half-time break. Um, that, that gave the candidates a rest, the audience a rest as well, and also the viewers, because you know these things can be quite intense without the television um, commercial breaks, which are annoying because they're too frequent um, on the, the TVNZ and News Hub debates. Um, but the, the, the hosts had arranged the questions into five kind of blocks of topics, and partly that was based on uh, consulting readers around the country and inevitably though these overlapped because you know issues of climate and um, Māori issues and so on I mean you know so, so that it was hard to actually keep that separation but amongst things that were tackled there was you know the COVID response obviously there was sugar tax tourism fluoridation which is a big issue in Christchurch um, water quality electric vehicles lots of climate questions uh, Jacinda Rodun kept talking about greening the grid tamariki. so lots of stuff done and with that live audience it really gave it um, a different vibe, they were pretty well behaved it wasn't all that raucous but um, you know that, that really did, did give it um, a, a bit of a sense in fact some of the questioning was also I think a bit fiercer than uh, and a bit more pointed than in some of the TV debates we've seen so here's one example of that, this is um, the stuff, uh, the, the press editor Kamala Heyman putting a, a fairly pointed question to Judith Collins. Judith Collins, um, final question on the DHB before we move on. Uh, the Treasury itself says historic underfunding of the Canterbury District Health Board's contributed to these very financial woes we're now talking about. Um, this year, an Infometrics report said that the shortfall in operational funding for DHBs grew every year under the previous national government. Your fiscal plan, as mentioned earlier, has only $814 million for rising costs across education, law and order, health. Can New Zealanders be confident that a government you lead will fund healthcare adequately? Every single, every single year that we were in government, we put more money into the DHBs. And I think the other thing too, Kamala, is to understand is that we also expected results yeah, so that was a big, long question. A lot in it, a lot of information in it. But it was interesting because they really zeroed in on that issue of the debt crisis at the Canterbury District Health Board. Uh, John Campbell had actually raised that in his TVNZ debate. Because this is an issue, uh, DHB debt beyond uh, Canterbury, but of course a whole lot of issues at the Canterbury DHB um, that are of, of national significance as well as local significance. So, um, yeah, interesting. But it's actually, um, it's worth hearing to the answer uh, from from Judith Collins, because I think this is a shorter bit, but it actually illustrates uh, some of the tone of the debate and the nature of it, which is um, what we were talking about earlier, and specifically the the, the way the audience was part of the reaction. 
The other thing, too, Camilla, is to understand is that we also expected results for the people of Some Canterbury. years there was we, no funding there was for capital infrastructure. Yeah. In Some every, years there was oh, nothing. On, that is there. why we you've had run down hospitals in this country. Um, that is simply not true. Who's, who built the new hospital? Oh, that was us. That was right. No, yeah, forget about that. Why don't you? Ah. <laughs> All right. So uh, there you had it, the interjections back and forward, you know, the audience responding. And uh, the political scientist, um, Dr. Bronwyn Hayward, said uh, on Morning Report um, the, uh, this morning, the morning after, uh, I think uh, I might have her words wrong here, but something like she said it felt like a kind of post-COVID celebration of public life in Christchurch, the sort of thing people have, have wanted to get together in, in the manner that they've wanted to get together in public and, you know, they've been prevented from doing so. Um, so it's the kind of campaign event, I guess, that right around the country people haven't been able to have till now with um, level two and three at times restrictions. And uh, moving on to... It's not fake news, but perhaps political parties faking it. And uh, I see that National made headlines tonight for for stacking a walkabout with uh, party people posing as members of the public. Yes, this will not be the sort of coverage they would have wanted from those events, particularly as they contrasted with uh, Jacinda Ardern doing uh, walkabouts in public events in Dunedin and drawing huge crowds, um, which appeared not to be that same sort of crowd. So yeah, Judith Collins filmed um, walking around in Ponsonby it greeted warmly uh, in several places by fans telling her she was doing a great job um, but yes several of them were planted there by the party or, or were effectively notified that this was happening and they were that this was an act of stage management. Um, a couple of them were fairly long-time party people. Uh, one guy, particularly Hamish Price, who was instantly identified by reporters. TVNZ's Benedict Collins confronted him, and uh, he was initially un- unwilling to give his name and looked a bit sheepish about about this. Um, but, you know, as has been pointed out, say, uh, Heather Duplessis-Allen on News Talk ZB interviewed Jerry Brown, and he said, well, look, you know, you have these events, the party members are told about them, so they attend, um, and, yes, you know, that's their chance to meet the candidates as well because Judith Collins was um, walking about with uh, um, Melissa Lee, who's also uh, an Auckland MP, and um, Emma Mello, who's the candidate for Auckland Central. So, you know, a bit of an event. So I'm, I'm sure this does happen from time to time. The media are informed of where these events are going to, be uh, taking place and uh, party members probably would, would want to be there too but it was pretty clear that uh, they knew the cameras were on them and they, they knew when they were warmly greeting Judith Collins that this was to create those images for the news. So uh, Benedict Collins uh, on the TVNZ1 News tonight just said it was dumb, dumb, dumb and then of course they got reaction from Jacinda Ardern who said oh, it seems all a bit unnecessary to me to do this Winston Peters was loving it saying um, this is rent a crowd and you and the media fall for it. Um, of course these are photo opportunities and all the time these are staged partly um, for the media's benefit um, but yeah there was pretty clearly a bit of manipulation going on there. Well, National saying tonight it's a beat up by the media to, just to make headline news. Is that a fair point? Well, it is because, you know, as I said, they are uh, public events. They are, sorry, um, photo opportunities. They're created in part for the media. Um, but, you know, if, if you get busted by the media trying to manipulate them to get those images when they know the cameras are there, they, they can't be surprised if the media want to make a meal of it. And in the background, I'm pretty sure in Benedict Collins' TVNZ uh, report just over Judith Collins' and MMLO's shoulder was Janet Wilson, who's their, you know, or um, uh, Judith Collins' chief um, press person, chief of staff. Um, so, you know, they all would have been 
absolutely knowing what was going on there. And the fact that the people who were asked about this saying, you know, this looks like you've stacked this walk and didn't really want to own up to it, um, you know, that all all looked a bit, a bit shifty. And I think the problem is, you know, the, the media will look at this and ask themselves if um, – if they see these drawing fans and supporters greeting them, are they ever going to believe it? Or are they always going to think they're plants? So there'll be a question mark about those sorts of scenes uh, in the future because of the exposure it's had leading, you know, the two main TV channels news. And interestingly, Melissa Lee was there and you you mentioned at the start, you know, is it a form of fake news? Well, just on Monday, she was at a, um, a, an online uh, debate about broadcasting and media policy, and all the candidates there were asked about uh, fake news and so on, and they all said, yes, everyone's got a role in, in combating this. And you know, I'm not calling this fake news, and I'm, I'm not saying uh, that's what it is, but you know, this is clearly, in the heat of an election, came an, an attempt to create uh, during the campaign a certain image that makes them look good by using their people and, and stacking that walk. And yeah, in this instance, it has clearly backfired. And Colin, Judith Collins not the only party leader who's facing awkward questions about fake supporters in their electioneering. <laughs> no, uh, Vernon Tava of the Sustainable New Zealand Party. Um, this is a, a pro-business, pro-environment party launched last year, which hasn't really cut through. He was once pretty prominent as a, a media pundit before launching this this party. He tried out for the Green Party as a candidate and for National. Uh, and when this party formed, it was trumpeted as something it could um, do in the existing Green Party and partner with National and maybe change the government, but it hasn't really worked out that way. So he was in the headlines this week because RNZ reported that a woman who featured in one of its ads uh, uh, cast as a, a small business owner called Jill um, was actually Mr. Tava's partner acting the part. So this is um, just the 15-second TV version of that ad. Hey, you're a small business owner. Can you tell us a bit about why you support the Sustainable New Zealand Party? Modern business practice is all about eliminating waste. I'm looking for a party that will work with business and support us in our transition to a greener economy. This election, you can vote for the environment and the economy. Hmm. So uh, RNZ was told by Mr. Tava that this ad wasn't misrepresentative. Uh, we're not selling a product. It certainly hasn't purported to be a documentary, he said. We haven't made any statements that these aren't genuine people talking about their genuine businesses or other practices. And he added that this was some sort of amalgamation of conversations with real people. So, you know, not fake in his eyes. But a lot of political ads do employ actors. Yeah, that's true. Um, But I think the problem, this is a specific problem for this particular party because earlier this year it was in the headlines. In fact, I think the last time it was in the headlines was because um, a former party secretary had said to News Hub that they didn't have enough members to make the 500 member limit and she alleged that uh, she'd been asked to doctor the membership record. So, you know, that created an image of a party that possibly had trouble getting enough genuine supporters to be a legit, um, you know, 500-member paid-up party. Uh, so that is a bit of a problem for them. Um, you know, I think that really does dent their credibility if it looks like they're creating bogus supporters who don't really exist. In fact, I had a look on the YouTube channel, and there's a few other ones of these. So um, we'll play a little bit now of one uh, from... This is a, a retired couple who claim to be supporters of the party, and they're on their, um, at their front gate, and uh, Vernon Tava, the leader, rocks up to have a chat to them. Hi there, Mike, Deirdre. Hi, Vernon. Now, look, you're both dedicated conservationists. Tell us why you support the Sustainable New Zealand Party. Well... When you get to our age, Vernon, you start to think about what sort of country you're handing on. I want to vote to fix the environment, but I need a positive vision. 
and a plan about how we're going to pay for it. All this anti-capitalist, socialist stuff. Well, we're old enough to know where that sort of thinking leads. <laughs> yes, yeah, so do you? Does that sound to you, Karen, like they are genuine supporters um, that uh, that had Vernon Tava roll up to have a chat with them? If I was directing that ad, I'd say you sound so fake. Mm, Please, yeah. it's it's actually not a whole lot better when you see the visuals. Um, there's a lot of uh, quite um, unspontaneous looking body language between the parties as well. Um, but this is it. So if the if the party has problems finding you know camera ready supporters, it's also struggle for candidates. So I looked up the the spin-offs uh, policy section and they've only got 11 candidates standing if, if assuming that entry is correct mostly in and around Auckland uh, so they've spent a bit of money on uh, online ads and so on their YouTube channel's just got 153 subscribers so I don't think it's really working out um, in terms of the campaigning and the and the marketing for uh, uh, sustainable New Zealand at the moment. Okay, and finally, we've got a few minutes to go before the news, and this has just been leading the headline headlines around the world. Donald Trump, thoughts and prayers, or <laughs> what, COVID karma? Yeah, a bit of schadenfreude. Well, today's editorial in the Stuff pa- uh, Papers asked, should we feel empathy for one of the most unempathetic people in the world? Yes, we should. His presidency has done violence to many concepts of morality, but we should not wish sickness on anyone and resist the temptation to sanitise a shabby sense of schadenfreude uh, by talking warmly of karma or comeuppance. So very high-minded editorial there at Stuff, but uh, completely contradicting that, The Guardian's very cutting columnist, Marina Hyde, uh, she says, look, I'm against all forms of the death penalty, karmic or otherwise. Jokes, though? Nope. Jokes are very much permitted at this stage, she says. Um, I appreciate the Old Testament isn't a gag fest, but I believe in a joke for a joke, and no one has told more jokes about coronavirus than Donald Trump. He would surely want us to follow his lead. She's not alone in weighing up the rights and wrongs of kicking Trump when he's down, though, is she? No, a bit of that. Even locally, Stuff's Ellison Moore responded to a tweet asking, is he dead yet? With, I keep refreshing my browser, but so far, no. Uh, Magic Talk host Sean Plunkett didn't like that, thought it was inappropriate for an employee <laughs> of a news organisation. That's rich, coming from him. Well, yeah, he tried to get her on her show, actually, but I, I don't think she took the bait. Um, Duncan Garner was wailing, you know, what sort of person wishes suffering on another one? Donald Trump isn't Hitler or the Christchurch terrorist. Um, so a few people have been pondering this, but uh, you know, I think the conclusion is, unless you're really doing that, wishing death on him or something extremely nasty, no problem with pointing out you know, the, uh, the contradictions and inconsistencies of the things that he said. Were there any jokes that weren't too gratuitous? Well, there was a couple uh, that I thought you know came into that category that, that certainly weren't tasteless because they were clever. Um, for example, um, some people had said, uh, look, he, he actually, there's few people on social media, I don't know who to credit the joke to, had said, look, he falls into two categories immediately because he's over 70 and uh, he's uh, um, obese, uh, technically and medically speaking. But a third character, uh, judging by his, his uh, taxes, He's also low income, so that would put him in three risk categories. And someone followed that up by saying, actually, he's in another one as well, because uh, looking at his tanning regime, he's also a, a person of colour who are uh, statistically at elevated risk. So, yeah, those are edgy gags, but I don't think those are in, in bad taste necessarily. Uh, it was pretty obvious that uh, something had happened to his face as he walked into the White House. Yeah, well, seeing those um, those videos without makeup were yeah a bit of a shock. You know, I think he, he actually looks. I, th- I think he looked a whole lot better with coronavirus and without the orange tan than he does um, with his uh, with his normal grooming. Oh, I thought when he actually went home uh, that he had actually had an application. 
Oh, he may well have done. He may well have done. I don't follow it closely enough to check, but there have also been a whole lot of cartoons about him with a, a kind of um, orange tan, but with a big hole where the mask should be and the white skin showing underneath, which I thought was also making a fair point, a pointed point, but not a tasteless one. So I think there are ways of poking fun at the situation and turning his own behaviour back on him uh, without making it um, tasteless or gratuitous. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because absolutely right, nobody wishes... You know, that kind of illness on anyone. No, but if you do want to read Marina Hyde's piece, that is pretty cutting. Uh, that crosses a few lines, but there's a link to that on the Media Watch page of the uh, RNZ website, the Midweek Media Watch entry for today, um, which I think we've called um, Debates About Debates and Political Parties Faking It, in quotes.